You're listening to the Grassroots Church Podcast. We're a Jesus-centered community in Thunder Bay, Ontario. You can learn how to participate more by going to our website at grassroots.church. Thank you to the worship team for leading us this morning. Um, So you might be surprised to see me about five feet away from where I normally am. Um, So yeah, I don't... I don't often do this. In fact, the last time I was up here doing a sermon was actually 10 years ago. And guess what the sermon series was? (laughs) Any guesses? Spiritual discipline. So here we are, full circle. Um, Yeah, so since many of you weren't here 10 years ago, and those of you who were here probably forgot, what I talked about, I was able just to recycle my entire sermon. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) I'm not doing that, and actually I am speaking on something completely different. So if you have your um, booklet for this series, Renewed Rhythms, you can take that out. That's been super helpful. And um, yeah, we'll quickly recap kind of what we've what we've been talking about. I know I've been really enjoying this series. It's been really encouraging um, and kind of motivating to to do things that will actually enrich my spiritual life in ways that, yeah, you kind of need that little kick. And it's also been great to hear from different people in our church community, so we don't have to just listen to Steve every week. (laughs) Just kidding. So a quick review of um, what this series is about. We're practicing these um, disciplines. I know a lot of people don't love that word because it kind of has negative connotations. But if we look again at that root of that disciple, being, becoming like Christ's disciples. Um, so we can call them practices, habits, rhythms, whatever you want. But they are a means to an end with the goals of loving God and others more deeply and becoming more like Jesus. So Steve put together this list uh, that we'll review too. What the spiritual disciplines are not, they are not a measure of how spiritual you are. They are not a way to win favor with God. They're not necessarily unpleasant and they are not the end goal. So things to keep in mind, and I think each one of those, yeah, it really sums it up. Um, So today, we're going to talk about this, silence and solitude. Say that 10 times fast. I will probably um, mess that up because I'm saying it many times, and it's a bit of a tongue twister. Um, I want you to think of what comes to mind when you hear those words, silence and solitude. Think for a few seconds. So some people may be drawn to that idea of peacefulness and simplicity, but some of you might feel the opposite. That idea of silence and solitude might seem kind of like a form of torture, or at the very least, a very boring, uncomfortable experience. So 10 years ago, the University of Virginia did a psychological study that was investigating how comfortable people were Being alone in a room with no external stimulation, so no phones, no music, nobody else to talk to, nothing to look at, nothing to do. Um, And this thinking period, they called it, was 
no less, or it was less than 20 minutes, about like between six and 15 minutes. Um, yet most participants were not fond at all of being in silence and solitude for that long. Many found it stressful, hard to just be with themselves and their own thoughts, hard to concentrate even. And given the option, most actually opted for a mild electric shock to put an end to this solitary experience. And the investigators of this study wrote, what's striking is that simply being alone with their own thoughts for 15 minutes was apparently so aversive that it drove many participants to self-administer an electric shock that they had earlier said they would pay to avoid. So they knew what it felt like. They'd all got it beforehand and they said, yes, we do not want that. But in the moment, they chose to. So I found that quite shocking. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, but why, why is that, that idea of silence and solitude, being alone with yourself, why is it so undesirable to many? We'll be talking about that. In fact, it ranks as one of the least desirable spiritual disciplines, only beat out by, anyone want to guess? Fasting. <laughs> So there you go. Um, but I'll be honest, when I was asked to choose one of these spiritual disciplines to talk about um, back in December, I was, I thought, you know, hey, silence and solitude, that sounds great. Some mandatory quiet time for mom. <laughs> what is not to like about that? Um, what I didn't exactly realize was that there is so much more to silence and solitude um, than just merely being alone. So first we'll look at the definition of silence and solitude, and then we'll get into what it is and what it isn't. So silence and solitude is the act of intentionally withdrawing from the noise, demands, and routines of life in order to make space for God. And the purpose, we tap into a growing awareness of God and ourselves when we are still and alone with Jesus. So let's talk about first about what silence and solitude is not. It is not a practice only for introverts. In fact, another study showed that the de desire for this practice, the difficulty of it, the enjoyment factor, and the success of it are not at all related to being an introvert or an extrovert. For everyone, it takes time, practice, and being intentional. It's all about how you're experiencing God and not whether you're getting energized from being or not being around other people. So that one actually kind of surprised me. Um, secondly, silence and solitude is not simply being alone. Alone time is different, as I humbly discovered. So while alone time can be reading a book, listening to music, uh, um, playing an instrument, daydreaming, going on a walk, whatever, that doesn't mean that you're practicing solitude. Because in silence and solitude as a spiritual practice, we are removing all distractions, we're removing noise and input, and really like the practice of Sabbath, we're actively abstaining from the demands of life, from those mental to-do lists, from production. And 
um, again, we, we learned about this when, we t when Steve talked about Sabbath. In our day and age, it's, so, it's such a noisy world we live in. We're filled with stimulation. And so it's uniquely important to us um, in this day to practice that stripping away of input and placing ourselves in that posture of emptying our minds and, um, and listening to God's voice. Mother Teresa said, God is the friend of silence. I love that. So perhaps you can think of some people that you know, maybe yourself, who always need to have noise around them. So TV, radio, podcasts, music, your earbuds in. This addiction to noise is actually only increasing in the world we live in. People are uncomfortable with silence, or at least extended periods of it. So if this doesn't relate to you, then that is great. I think that living in Northwestern Ontario does make it a little bit easier to embrace some peace and quiet. Third, uh, the practice of silence and solitude is not a luxury for some. So when I was reading and learning about these kind of spiritual fathers who were seasoned in the practice of silence and solitude, it, it really struck me that this was a list of almost all men. So, you know, biblical and in the past century or two. And it got me thinking about how this practice of solitude and silence, this opportunity to practice that for many men, was often at the expense of women who were home, taking care of the children, doing housework. And thankfully, I think yeah, this is one area that's changed for the better in the past few decades. So it is, it is for everyone. Um, it's also not just a luxury for people to, who have access to nature. And what I mean by that is, um, yeah, just going out into green space, into the woods, and I'll talk more about that later. But if you can't ex access that, that doesn't mean you, you don't get to practice this. Um, I do believe that it is most effective and enjoyable out in a natural setting, but it can be as simple as sitting under your tree in your backyard, finding some green space or white space this time of year, or even inside. The setting isn't as important as the intentionality of the practice, and I will expand more on that in a bit. Um, and lastly, in this, what it is not, it is not a form of torture. <laughs> it definitely can be. There is a thing called solitary confinement, and that, it's, it's awful. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I haven't experienced that, but reading about it, it sounds, yeah, it's just something that we're we're very lucky that we won't have to experience. Um, but as a spiritual discipline, the goal is to make space for God. It's to meet with him and experience his deep love for us. So it's, it's, it can be, can be, it's meant to be a beautiful experience. So for a more positive spin on it now, let's talk about what silence and solitude is. It is intentional. And I've used that word a few times already. So as with the other spiritual practices, it doesn't just happen accidentally. It requires carving out an amount of time. It could be half an hour, an afternoon, perhaps a weekend, if you're, if you're lucky, if you're able to. 
of removing input and distraction and putting yourself in that posture of emptying and listening to God's voice and allowing his love to pour into you. It can definitely be spontaneous, though. So maybe you'll start to recognize some opportunities to use that, um, those bits of alone time with some more intention. Number two, it is an act of giving up control. So like this practice of Sabbath, we're choosing to set aside our agendas, our worries, and allowing God to transform us. It's coming to a place of inner quiet. And this, um, as I found, it takes time and practice. And we, when we aren't accustomed to that, our brains, it, they fight against it. it. Our brain tries to tell us that we could be doing a whole list of other things. It tries to tell us that this isn't natural, this isn't necessary, that seeking God and doing nothing else but experiencing his love isn't um, a worthy endeavor. Um, several years ago, if you were around when Pastor Keith was here, he introduced a visual practice of um, getting a jar of dirty water and shaking it up to mark the start of a time dedicated to silence. So as that debris and um, sediment settles to the bottom of the jar, it serves as a visual reminder for what is happening in our minds and in our souls. Because it takes time to let those thoughts drop away and settle to the bottom to bring us to that place of peace and clarity and to provide an environment where God can speak. So usually it takes um, about 30 to 45 minutes for that dirt to settle at the bottom. And often it can take that long for our minds to clear. So since it's winter and we live in the land of dirty snowbanks, I filled up a jar with some dirty snow from the end of our driveway. And I will just say this, it took way longer to melt than I thought. <laughs> way longer. So I will let you experiment with that one, which brings me to our next point, that silence and solitude is experimental. Um, there's a quote up here. John Ortega, who is a great voice in, um, and I think Steve had quoted him before too, a great voice in the area of spiritual disciplines. He says, approach the practice of silence and solitude with a curious, open mindset. So think of it like conducting a little experiment. It's going to look different for everyone. And there's no perfect way to practice silence and solitude. So I personally find this really freeing. We serve a God of grace and creativity, and he delights in seeing his children delight in his world that he's created for us. So experiment for what works with you as you practice solitude and um, yeah, let it bring you joy. It is a practice of abstinence. It's not marked by, by what I do, but what I don't do. So think about that. It's not marked by what I do, but what I don't do. Most of the spiritual disciplines involve adding, adding things. This is one of them that involves stripping away, removing something. Henry Nowen, who also knew a thing or two about silence and solitude, 
He said, it is in solitude that we discover that being is more important than having and that we are worth more than the results of our efforts. And last in this list of what it is, it is a practice of moving beyond thinking and feeling. And it's been said that the mind unaided tends toward chaos. Our thoughts aren't always a reflection of reality. And the practice of silence and solitude allows us to push those thoughts away, to come to a place of inner quiet where God can speak to us, opening our spirit to communion with God. So this was a tough one for me. If you know me, you know I'm a big feeler. I'm an Enneagram 4, if that means anything to you. <laughs> um, my feelings and thoughts can often get um, cloud my sense of reality and cloud that kind of um, that peace, peaceful state. So that, that took a while to learn how to push those thoughts out. Let's talk about this guy, King David. So he's one of the earliest examples of someone who really practiced, honed this, um, this discipline of silence and solitude. And he cultivated that deep relationship with God through prayer, through worship, time alone with him. And he did this all before he was king, which I think really kind of set that stage. And I've always been intrigued by the description of David being a man after God's own heart. There is a few different interpretations of what this actually means, and I'm not going to get into all that. But I think what's most important to understand was that David was constantly trying to redirect himself towards God. He was constantly trying to um, make that space for God to speak to him, even after messing things up. And he did mess up a lot, did some horrible things. Um, I loved that we sang Psalm 23 this morning. Thank you for, for that. The Psalms of David just, um, they really show that he was a person who was choosing to deepen his relationship with God through those times of solitude. He was choosing to repent, to praise, to open himself up in ways for God to mold him and use him. Um, and he actually had some pretty big emotions too that he needed to set aside. And the wise people of the internet kind of validated my hunches that David must have been an Enneagram 4 as well. <laughs> but we can uh, talk about that in another message if we ever do a series on the Enneagram. Is that still a thing? Maybe not. Maybe it's past. <laughs> Looking at Steve. Um, so like many other people before him, including Moses, Elijah, a whole bunch of others, David's heart of devotion to God was formed in those places of silence and solitude. He found his identity in God by seeking him, immersing himself in his presence, and opening his spirit to communion with him. So we'll look at a few of snippets of his psalms. Psalm 62, verse 1, he writes, My soul waits in silence for God only. Psalm 46, verse 10, he says, Be still and know that I am God. 
Psalm 130, verse 5. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. And Psalm 23, verse 3. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. So we practice spiritual disciplines to ultimately become more like Christ. And so in the area of silence and solitude, obviously the best example of this is Jesus himself, who Jesus routinely removed himself from people, retreating to a quiet place to be with his father, especially before, but often after a significant part of his ministry. There's another quote from Henry now and said that without solitude, it is virtually impossible to have a spiritual life. Now, when I first read that, I was like, I don't know, it's a little bit blunt, like, oh, really? That's, that's a little harsh. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized, like, yeah, we, we, can't, we can't have that relationship with God if we're never alone with him. A life without a quiet, quiet center can easily become destructive. And if you're only listening to the world, or only listening to yourself, then there's no space for God to speak directly to you. Yes, he can speak through people here in our, in our church community. He can speak through these times together. He can speak through the Bible, um, through lots of different things. But there is a special beauty and necessity in allowing his love and his voice to pour into you, into that innermost part of you in times of solitude and silence. So Jesus knew this and practiced it. And it can seem funny to think that Jesus even needed to practice spiritual disciplines. Um, But that was the human side of him. He knew the value and intimacy of retreating to a quiet place by himself to meet with his father. Mark chapter 1, 35 to 37 says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you! I just like that ending. I like it. <laughs> that they seemed, he seemed so surprised. Like, Jesus, you're gone again. Um, as if they weren't used to it. Because Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And if you read the Gospel of Luke, you'll see that it, is, it especially reveals this pattern of retreat and reentry that was so important, so critical for Jesus' life and ministry. So, definitely the most widely used example of silence and solitude um, in Jesus' life is when he was in the desert. Now, I did learn a few things as I was preparing for this. And one is that it wasn't necessarily a desert like we imagine it, but simply a deserted place. So I know it might take some time to get those Sunday school flannel graph images out of your head. Maybe it was like that. It could, it could have been Jesus in, in the sandy desert with wind whipping all around him, but we don't know. But it is through this story that we can see how the human side of Jesus wrestled through this experience. He was forced to distinguish God's voice from the enemy's voice. And really, when we go into solitude, we, number one, encounter ourselves. 
we encounter the enemy and we encounter God. And I didn't come up with this. This was um, uh, John Mark Comer, who, who Pastor Steve has also referenced, his Rule of Life podcast on the spiritual disciplines, which I highly recommend. Um, and he actually has a separate podcast episode that you can listen to for each one of these points. So I'm not going to expand on this, but I highly recommend giving those a listen if you, um, you want to learn more just about really those three encounters. But I think it's important to remember that the lines between these encounters may be a bit blurry, especially when it comes to distinguishing our own voice in the mix. So I'm not a person who believes that humans are intrinsically bent towards evil and that our own hearts and minds can't be trusted. And I'm not talking about that from a clinical standpoint. There are times when, when people do need to not, not trust what's going on in their head. But I believe that being made in the image of God means that he created us with so much truth, goodness, and direction. And that there's such an overlap between encountering ourselves and encountering God. We won't always know um, how to distinguish what is our own thought and what is God imprinting that thought within us. But the more we spend time alone with him, that, the clearer that voice gets. And we can distinguish that. And the more time we spend with him, the more we can also distinguish the voice of the enemy from God's love and truth. So, what did it look like for me to practice silence and solitude? Well, <clears throat> I like this quote, and into the forest I go to lose my mind and find my soul. I've always liked it, um, but reframing it in light of this practice of silence and solitude, uh, it just made me think, like, what am I doing when I, when I go for a walk through the woods with the intention of, of practicing this spiritual discipline? I'm kind of, you know, not losing your mind in, in that other way, but losing it in, in terms of pushing back, pushing down those thoughts, making that space, finding our soul, tapping into um, really that soul connection so that we can listen to God. So this time of year, I love getting out into the woods on snowshoes. So that's where I spent the majority of my silence and solitude sessions. Usually I would try to go out for a couple hours. And the first part, every time I would go, just like shaking up that dirty jar of water, is really letting those thoughts settle down, pushing them out of my mind and opening up opening up my, my heart and my mind for God to fill. I do find that being outside is much more conducive to this, to clearing my mind. It's easier to focus on God when I'm surrounded by the beauty of creation. So most times that I walked through the woods, I'd find myself repeating a simple phrase or prayer. Sometimes it was just saying, speak to me. Um, I've learned that, yeah, this is actually a great, a great way to kind of ground yourself and focus in this practice. If you listen to Scott Baker's wonderful sermon on prayer last month, 
you'll remember he talked about that ancient practice of breath prayers, where half the phrase is breathing in and half is breathing out. So one that many people incorporated in to incorporate into their practice um, of solitude and silence, and I tried this too, is a verse from Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. So be still and know, breathing in, that I am God, breathing out. For me, my practices also included a lot of stopping to notice things. Perfect animal tracks in the snow, listening to the bird songs, seeing the way the sunlight breaks through the trees, maybe spotting some cute creatures along the way if I was lucky. Signs of a creative God and awareness of his presence. So often on hikes, I, even if I'm by myself, I love getting my heart rate up, seeing how, how many steps I can get in, not stopping. This was something I actively had to push against. So um, that was a little bit of a challenge, but it was, it was refreshing not have to have to worry about that, to stop when I need, needed to and just really um, notice those things in nature. Also, God put people on my mind during these times. And on any normal day, I might be like, yeah, I thought of this person. I, they came, came to mind. But when I was in the posture of communion with God and open to receiving his love and direction, all of a sudden that random person that I thought of, I was like, oh, God put them there for a reason. Um, so here is how the discipline of silence and solitude can really help us become more like Christ. It's following through with those people that he places on our hearts and minds, praying for them and connecting with them and blessing them. During this time, I also experienced a lot of peace about things that I'd been worrying about. I experienced a lot of clarity and direction that I really don't think I would have experienced on my own if I'd just been kind of stuck in my own head. Now, I didn't just stay outside. I would have loved to, but I also wanted to kind of balance it out with trying that practice of solitude and silence inside. This wasn't such a success. It was not, <laughs> not easy, not good. Um, that snow in the jar, uh, it took forever to melt. I found myself really, really tempted by all the other things that I wanted or needed to do in the house. Um, it was hard, and I just kind of, honestly, I gave up. I am going to try it, don't worry. I'm going to try it again. I know I can get there because, because it does take practice, and um, maybe, maybe you'll have greater success with it. Maybe you guys have more willpower and uh, a cleaner house to start with, so you won't have to worry about all those things. Um, but I put together a little list of things that I kind of learned and that are helpful just to keep in mind before you practice silence and solitude. So the first is, it's not all or nothing. So don't wait till you have a spare weekend where you can rent a cabin in the woods or go solo camping or go to a monastery and take a vow of silence for a week. It doesn't have to be that. It can be 20 minutes with a candle and a jar of dirty water. 
It can be some time sitting under a tree in your backyard. I learned that I can practice solitude way more often than I thought I could because it's being intentional about the time I have. Number two, prepare. Prepare to encounter yourself, the enemy, and God. But don't let this scare you if that sounds scary. Also, prepare to be refreshed and filled and encouraged and blessed. Number three, let go of the demand to experience something or to force an outcome. For me, this was a, yeah, a big light bulb moment because it's a practice. It takes time. And if all I come away with is a feeling of peace and refreshing, that I experience moments of awe, if that's all that happens, that is a good thing. And if I feel more deeply loved, if I feel more inspired to be like Jesus, even better. So at first I struggled with guilt that I was doing it wrong, that I wasn't pushing down my own thoughts enough, that I wasn't experiencing God in a more real way, that it wasn't long enough, it wasn't deep enough, or that I didn't always come away with that profound experience. You are not a failure if you don't have a deep spiritual experience that you might be expecting or idealizing. And if you're feeling guilty about those feelings, then it's not God's voice. Number four, remember that God wants to be with you. I think for so long I've been a bit cynical of this idea of a personal relationship with Jesus. Um, maybe the church in general has been kind of, you know, yeah, that's not in the Bible. But there is so much value in it, and I think I had lost sight of that for a while. Because God does want to be in a relationship with us. And um, John Mark Comer compared the practice of silence and solitude to a marriage. He said, imagine if you didn't have time alone. What would that relationship look like if you were only around people, other people when you were together? So friends and community are great, but that isn't where our relationship with God is built. It's more than just me wanting to be with God as well. It's reciprocal. God wants to be with me. And it seems so simple but we can easily forget that part of it. So in this little experiment, I did come away with a deeper sense of peace about who God created me to be and my worth in him. And in a culture that values doing things and producing things, I want to focus on who I'm becoming. And that is to be more like Christ. I want to tune my heart to his by creating that space to be open and listening to his voice. So I'll end with a little blessing, and I'll invite the worship team to come up as I say this. May you feel confident and blessed as you make space for God through intentional times of silence and solitude. Through this practice, may you experience a deep sense of peace and freedom. May you seek God and find him. May you find joy and wonder in the beauty of his creation. May you love God more deeply and feel deeply loved by him and spurred on to love others more. <laughs>